Well, good morning and happy Easter to you all. He is risen. Well, if you're new with us, uh, welcome. We're glad that you're able to join us this morning. Uh, if you're new to Renew, we uh, are a very different kind of community, and we actually like being a very different kind of community. And so we are a community that is constantly longing to understand how much God loves us, and then also do whatever we can to help others know how much God loves them too. Well, it is Easter, and I would venture to guess that most of us in this room know how the Easter story ends up. However, however, I would also venture to guess that few of us know the story behind the story. And so I'm hoping this morning uh, to connect some of the dots. So if you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to turn to Leviticus chapter 16 and know that is not a joke. That is not a joke. Leviticus chapter 16. As you're turning there, I want to give some background of the text that I have gleaned through others who've researched this more than I have. Ray Vanderlaan, Reverend Robert Bell, Leonard Sweet, uh, some others uh, who have done some research on Leviticus 16. This is really important, all right? So, let me give you some background. A long time ago, if you were a Jew, your entire world, your entire year would be oriented around the Jewish calendar. And in the Jewish calendar, there would be, 12, there would be seven festivals, festivals, parties. Some of these festivals would last one day. Some of these festivals would last an entire week. But these were the festivals. Now, festivals were sometimes uh, translated parties and sometimes even translated rehearsal. So these 12 rehearsals or parties, or sorry, seven uh, uh, festivals or rehearsals or parties would happen in a given 12-month period of time. And God met his people at parties, which I think has some interesting implications for us, by the way. But one of those festivals was called Rosh Hashanah. Let me hear you say Rosh Hashanah. The Jewish New Year. And this normally happened in the fall. And Rosh Hashanah, the ten days, for, for ten days from that new year to for the next ten days, there would be a time of reflection in your own life. The new year would happen, you'd have a week and a half to think about your own life, to reflect, to think about where you fell short. You would ask questions like, where did I mess up? Where have I fallen short? Where have I hurt people this year? Where have I not trusted and obeyed God? And at the end of these 10 days in the Jewish New Year, there was another festival called the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. Let me hear you say Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur. And it was a somber, much more reflective day. In fact, it was the most somber of all of the festivals. And atonement, Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, atonement simply means to cover over. It was the day of covering over. It was a national day to have the sins of all the people in all of Israel from all of the past 12 months taken care of, covered over. The day of covering over of all of the sin of the nation of Israel. Now, God commanded that His people build Him a tent, a portable tabernacle for Him to live in. And, and you see some slides. There'll be some slides behind me. Very specific instructions that God gives. You can't read the writing on this. This is somebody that actually 
built one out in the middle of the wilderness. So you can kind of see this is an actual 3D uh, thing. Um, and, and all around it, there were people camped around it. The, the 12 tribes of Judah would camp all around. So the tent would be in the middle, the tabernacle would be in the middle, and it would be uh, all of God's people around it. Now, in the innermost part, you see where the smoke is coming up. Go back, please. When you see the smoke coming up, the inner part of that tent is called the Holy of Holies, the innermost part of the tabernacle. And it was the place where God's presence remained, and it remained in the form of a cloud. God was present among them, but because He was holy and the people were sinful, God remained inaccessible. So God was present, but God was inaccessible. God was present, but God was inaccessible to His people. There was a God who wanted to hang out with His people, but He could only do so when they were clean. And because they were not clean, they were separated from God. God is present, but not accessible to His people. Now what? What do we do about it? And God gave His people a solution. Look in Leviticus chapter 16. Let's start in verse 3. God is speaking to Moses. Moses has a brother named Aaron, and Aaron has a specific role in the community. In verse 3, it says, This is how Aaron is to enter the most holy place. He must first bring a young bull for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering, and he's to put it uh, on the sacred, he is to put on the sacred linen tunic with linen undergarments next to his body. He's to tie the linen sash around him and put on the linen turban. These are sacred garments, so he must bathe himself with water before he puts them on. From the Israelite community, he is to take two male goats for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. Aaron is to offer the bull for sin, for his own sin offering, and to make atonement for himself and his household. Then he is to take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting. Now, what is this all about? Now, there were several priests that would take care of things around the tabernacle as God commanded, but there was only one person who could go into that inner chamber where the smoke remained, where God's presence remained, inside the Holy of Holies. There's only one person that could do it. And that one person could only do it one time of year on Yom Kippur, on the Day of Atonement. And that person was called the high priest, kind of the priest of all priests. And he would go into this place and he would ask for forgiveness for all of the sin of the entire nation of Israel, all 12 tribes, for all of the past 12 months. And he would go in and God commanded that the high priest wear the right clothes when he was in God's presence. You see here, it looks a little bit like an action figure here, but a turban, a crown, a robe, and look, look on the breastplate. You see this, what's called an ephod. This breastplate, and on the breastpiece right there would be 12 stones, all different colored, beautiful stones, each stone representing a different tribe of Israel. So the priest, the high priest, goes in, and close to his heart, what is next to his heart, are the 12 tribes, the people that he's representing before God including this turban, and as we see, some sort of sacred underpants. That's what it says right there. Some sort of sacred boxers he has to wear. And it's made of linen. Why linen? Because linen is the thing where if you sweat, it wouldn't stick to you. 
Why is that important? Because a holy God demands complete purity in his presence. So he demanded that linen would be worn in this. Okay? Now, we need a high priest up here, I think. Now, we don't have uh, someone uh, that can wear these, but we do have Kent Gerhardt, who, in my opinion, I think actually kind of looks like a high priest. So I'm going to ask Kent to come up. Kent is going to be our high priest here this morning, okay? Now, fortunately, he's a little bit off the hook because we don't have these priestly garments to require him to wear, but I want you to picture Kent looking like our high priest on the screen, okay? So he's our high priest here. Now, what's interesting, at the bottom here, you see golden bells. Look at those golden bells. So if Kent were wearing a robe, at the bottom would be golden bells. Well, why would God care about bells? Okay, so if you went in one day a year and you asked for the forgiveness of the sins of everyone, a holy God needs absolute purity. If you're, on the, if you're a priest on the outside of the tent, and Kent is in there a long time, you go, what's going on? Is he alive? Is he dead? Did he make God angry? Did he fall asleep? What's happening? But you began to hear bells ring and you go, oh, he's still alive. He's still moving. The bells indicated that the high priest was still alive, was still interacting with God in the tabernacle, in the Holy of Holies. Now there's also reports that they would take a long rope and they would attach it to the ankle of the high priest. Why would they do this? Because when the high priest would go in, who can only go in one day a year, what happens if God is angry at Kent's impurity and he is struck dead? They must wait an entire year to go in and get Kent. So what do they do? If something were to happen, they could pull the rope and slide Kent back out of the Holy of Holies. This is serious stuff. God demands that holiness be taken seriously because He can't stand sin. The high priest would go in on your behalf for the entire nation. And if He is representing you on your behalf before a holy God, you would want Him to have His junk in order. And to have His junk in order, He had to make a sacrifice for Himself and for His family to wash, to put on the right clothes, exactly as God commanded. This is serious stuff because he must be pure to go before a holy God. Now look in verse 8. This is what the priest is to do. The high priest is to cast lots for two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other for the scapegoat. Aaron shall bring the goat whose lot falls to the Lord and sacrifice it as a sin offering. But the goat chosen by a lot as the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to be used for making atonement by sending it into the wilderness as a scapegoat. Now what is going on here with goats? Day of Atonement, high priest comes in. There's a bull that he sacrifices for he and his family. Now he has two goats. The high priest casts lots to identify a good male goat and a bad male goat. The good male goat would be sacrificed right there by the priest, and he would be bloody. Think of a butcher. There'd be blood all over Kent. But the other goat, the bad goat, was called the Azazel. 
Let me hear you say Azazel. The Azazel was, was often connected with the demonic. And Azazel means to take away or to take it away. And it's where we get our word scapegoat. Scapegoat. Now, what does a scapegoat mean in the business world or in the corporate world or in just everyday vernacular? Someone who takes the hit for someone else, they take the blame for the group, someone on the bad side of judgment, which, some, which oftentimes is unfair. Okay, look in verse 20. When Aaron had finished making atonement for the most holy place, the tent of meeting and the altar, he would bring forward the live goat. And he is to lay both hands on the head of the live goat and to confess over it all of the wickedness and rebellion of the Israelites, all of their sins, and to put them on the goat's head. And he shall send the goat away into the wilderness, into the care of someone appointed for the task. The goat will carry on itself all of their sins to a remote place, and the man shall release it to the wilderness. So the high priest lays his hands on top of the goat, the Azazel, and he would transfer the sin of all the people from all the tribes from all of the past 12 months onto the Azazel. This is a real communal understanding of sin in Israel. We think about me and my sin and what I did and how God needs to forgive me. And there's certainly a role in that. But there's also a role of this idea of communal sin. What did we do against God as a nation? What did we do to wrong God? Which I think is worth pondering for us as a community. What have we done at Renew that we ought not to have done this year? What did we at Renew not do this year that we ought to have done? How about as a nation, as a country? What did we do or not do that we should have done or should not have done before God this year? The Azazel was not sacrificed there. Instead, it was taken out of the camp and led far out into the wilderness. And as a Jew, this would be a very solemn moment for you to actually watch that Azazel leave the tabernacle and walk past you and for you to think, my sin from the year is on the head of that goat. Now it says, a man appointed for the task. Now that person who would take the goat out to the wilderness far, far away would always be a Gentile. A non-Jew. They would take the Azazel away. Why? (laughs) Because as a Jew who now has your sin on the head of that goat, you do not want that goat following you around. So you get a Gentile to take it out into the wilderness for you. You want that goat to be as far out of the wilderness as possible. You'd hate to wake up the next morning and be pouring your coffee and look out the back window and notice that goat grazing in your backyard. You want that goat as far away as possible. Verse 34, this process, it says, this is to be the lasting ordinance for you. Atonement is to be made once a year for all the sins of the Israelites. God says do this year after year after year after year. Now each day, Each day of atonement, the Jewish people do this process over and over again. Priestly clothes, confession of sin, two goats, casting lots, sacrifice of the good goat, the Azazel is led out in the wilderness. 
year after year after year. And the priest will do his duties until he's completed, at least for another year. And so the Day of Atonement was a really somber day. But it was also a day of release, of freedom from your sin being covered over. Now, turn to John chapter 18. Okay? Keep in mind Leviticus 16 and what we just looked at, the Day of Atonement, the priests, the goats, uh, the casting of lots, and I want you to turn to John chapter 18. And in John 18 and 19, starting in verse 28, Pilate is interacting with Jesus. Jesus has been arrested. He's been arrested, and now he's being tried. They're trying to figure out what to do with Jesus, and he's before Pilate. And in John chapter 19, Pilate asks the crowd, what should I do with Jesus? Because the tradition was bringing a, a prisoner out, so there's Barabbas and there's Jesus. And Pilate feels like his hands are tied. And what does he say? He said, here is your king. And they shouted, this is in John 19, 14, and 15, and they shouted, do you remember what they shouted? They shouted, crucify him. But before that, John records that they shouted, take him away. Take him away. Crucify him. Are there some lights lighting up on your dashboard? What does Azazel mean? Take him away. Take it away. The people respond to Pilate here is your king by shouting, Azazel, Azazel. In John 18, 28, it says, Then the Jews led Jesus from Caiaphas to the palace of the Roman governor. That is to go to talk to Pilate. So who was Jesus in front of before he was in front of Pilate? Caiaphas. Who's Caiaphas? The high priest. The Azazel appears before the high priest and then he's sent away. By the way, who was supposed to send the Azazel out of the city? A Gentile. Who sends Jesus out of the city to be crucified? Roman soldiers. Non-Jews. Gentiles. Coincidence? I think not. Jesus is our Azazel. Jesus is our scapegoat. Jesus is our ransom. In Mark chapter 10, Jesus told his disciples that he did not come to be served, but to serve and to give himself as a ransom for many. You connecting some dots here? Now, turn to Hebrews chapter 9, because it gets even better. It gets even better. Now remember, there were specific instructions given in the Old Testament as to how the tabernacle was to be arranged. And in Hebrews 9, notice what the author of Hebrews says starting in verse 6. Okay, Hebrews 9, 6. 
When everything had been arranged like this, the priests entered regularly into the outer room to carry out their, on their ministry. But only the high priest entered the inner room, and that only once a year, and never without blood, which he offered for himself and for the sins of the people that had committed in ignorance. Now jump to verse 11. But when Christ came as high priest of the good things that are now already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands. That is to say, is not a part of this creation. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer or a cow sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean, sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. How much more then will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. Are you catching this? Jesus is not only our Azazel, he is also our high priest. What was the last thing that Jesus said before he died? It is finished. But finished what? What is finished? His life? Or was it the work to be done by the Azazel and the work of the high priest? Maybe we don't have to do this ceremony over and over and over and over again each year. Maybe it's done once and for all. Because it is finished. What does a high priest do when his duties are completed? He sits down. What do the Scriptures tell us Jesus is doing right now at the right hand of the Father? Sitting down. Are you smelling what we just stepped in this morning here on Easter? If you come in here this morning weighed down by hopelessness and discouragement and sin and guilt and shame and depression and harboring that secret sin or that addiction or that thing you did long ago that's so secretive you haven't even told your family yet. And it's eating you alive. Remember what Jesus did. He, as our high priest, finished the work and sat down. Is there anything that you are carrying around with you today that's weighing you down. Because it's those very things why Jesus chose to be our Azazel, taking our sins upon Him, upon His head, and was led out of the city. And it's those very things that Jesus, as our High Priest, goes in before the presence of God and on our behalf offers a sacrifice, not of an animal, but of His own blood. Whatever's weighing you down right now, that's 
what Jesus did. By the way, this is so cool. By the way, when priests were done, what did they do with their garments? They didn't want to throw them away. They thought, can we recycle them or use them some other way? Do you know what they did? They, they wanted to put them to good use. So there were two things that priestly garments, what they did with. The first thing is they were used for cloths for newborn lambs to make them feel comfortable. They'd swaddle little lambs in recycled priestly garments that they'd give to the shepherds. And they'd put them in something uh, called a feeding trough, also called a manger. You know what else priestly garments would be used for? Cloths for burial to wrap corpses. Could it be that Jesus, the Lamb of God, who took away the sin of the world, wore priestly garments the day he was born and the day he died? Because of the sacrifice of Jesus, our high priest, on our behalf, we now have access to God. After Jesus' crucifixion, the text tells us that the curtain in the temple ripped from top to bottom. And if you haven't had a chance, if you weren't here on Friday night, John Hoover did this beautiful piece. He's a steel worker. He did this beautiful steel piece of the curtain ripping. It is finished. Why is this important for us? Because a God who used to be present with His people but was inaccessible, only accessible one day a year by one special person, with the curtain ripping in the Holy of Holies, now God is both present and accessible. So we're going to take communion in just a moment. Is there some sort of sin that you today need to place symbolically on the head of the Azazel? Is there anything that's weighing you down that you need transferring to that Azazel? Is there any area where you need to be freed? Is, is there a space this morning where you need to remember that your high priest is currently in a sitting position? Maybe you need to just sit with your sin for a while and confess that sin to God before you come forward to receive the bread and the wine. And maybe you need others on our prayer team who will be up here to pray with you for you as you come. Maybe they can help you place that sin on the head of the Azazel. And maybe this morning you find yourself overcome with gratitude and it's hitting you, and you're just realizing, my goodness, Jesus as our high priest, this is amazing. And you just need to come with gratitude to the table. And you just want to turn to someone on the prayer team and say, I just want to stop and thank God that this is who He is and what He's done in my life. I invite you to do that. Maybe some of you this morning, this is the time where you've said, I have never thought about this. I have always thought God is this aloof, distant figure who didn't care 
all that much and he was totally inaccessible to me and maybe this is the time where you come for the very first time to actually engage in communion and say, I get it. You are the Azazel. You are the high priest. You spilled the blood, not of an animal, but of yourself. And your body was sacrificed. You yourself for me. And maybe you want to celebrate that this morning. So I'm going to invite our communion servers to come forward and our prayer team to come forward because the communion table is nothing more than access to God directly because God is both present and accessible. And so I want to invite you, if and when you feel comfortable, to come forward remembering that He is not only our Azazel, but also our high priest. Now, we can celebrate Easter with hope because we have experienced release. We've experienced freedom. But here's the even better news. The Azazel out in the wilderness didn't stay dead didn't stay dead. He rose from the dead, cleansed of sin, giving us the power to rejoice in this newfound hope. Without the empty tomb, by the way, we have no reason to meet here this morning. If the tomb is full, you are wasting your time. But it was empty. When you understand this and what we've talked about this morning, you understand the point of the book of Leviticus. And when you understand Leviticus, you understand Hebrews. And when you understand the book of Hebrews, you understand the significance of Easter weekend from Friday to Saturday to Sunday. So, I have even better news for you. The next time someone wants to remind you of what you've done, someone wants to remind you of your past sin and the mistakes that you've made, maybe you should look at them and then look around and go, hmm, I don't see a goat around here. And when Satan, the accuser, wants to remind you of your past, and why you're no good, and why God can't use you, and God can't possibly love you, maybe you should lean in and say, the goat has left the building. Okay, all right. So here's the deal. We've talked about this. we got to do something about it, okay? Many of you have been to baptism when we have it in the summer. Raise your hand if you've been to Renew Baptism. Okay. If you are new with us, One of the things we do at our baptism, one of the traditions of our church, is that we go nuts about the stuff that matters most. Okay? We have a rule at baptism that says no polite golf claps allowed. We can't see something amazing and go, that was just terrific. Yay, God. We go nuts. So we get an opportunity here in our tradition to celebrate over the things that matter the most, okay? So this isn't baptism, okay? It's in a few months. 
but we're going to do this. Which, by the way, remember what a festival also meant? It meant a party or a rehearsal. Might this celebration of these parties where God meets his people in the midst of parties, might we be rehearsing for something better one day? So, we're going to celebrate this in just a moment. That's how we roll, okay? So we're going to have an opportunity to do that this morning. So Kent, our high priest, has been so patient over here. His legs are probably hurting him. And some of you may have been thinking, can't we let the guy sit down? Well, I have good news. Because there's a chair right here. And the chair's been empty. But guess what? The high priest's job is done. What does a high priest do when he's done? He sits down. Why? Because his work is finished. So, here's what we're going to do in a moment. I'm going to read a few verses from the end of Hebrews chapter 9. And after that, we are going to be silent for a moment. And we're going to watch our high priest walk over to the chair and sit down. And when his rear end hits the wood, we are going to explode. Alright? Are you ready? You getting ready? Don't stand up yet. Alright, let me get ready. Let me read from Hebrews 9. For Christ did not enter a sanctuary made with human hands that was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself now to appear for us in God's presence, nor did He enter heaven to offer Himself again and again the way the high priest enters the most holy place every year with the blood that is not His own. Otherwise, Christ would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world. But He has appeared once for all at the culmination of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of Himself. Just as, Jesus, or just as people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many and He will appear a second time not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting Him. So let's pray. God, thank you for what we 
just celebrated. We thank you that Jesus, our high priest, first was our Azazel, taking our sins on his head. And then Jesus becomes our high priest, who is now sitting down next to you because you said through your son, it is finished. We don't have to do this year after year after year because you took it all. You covered our sin. God, thank you for that privilege. You are that good. And that's what we celebrate with an empty tomb and we say yes yes and it's in the name of the one who did that and chose not to stay in a tomb today but raised from the dead and sits in heaven now amen amen